Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here. Uh, we have had a wonderful weekend. Friday at 6 o'clock, we've had a young lady that was baptized into Christ. Uh, Shelly was baptized as a result of studying. Uh, Shelly Witt was baptized as a result of studying with Elias. And uh, we are thankful for that. And uh, we introduced her at the first service and maybe... Uh, she'd be here tonight, and, and we can introduce her to the rest of you guys tonight. We also want to keep in mind our emphasis this month of, of simple kindness. And one of the things that we're doing this month is thinking about the 1 John 3.16 ministry that has done so much good uh, in just a little more than a year that it has been in effect. And uh, one of the things that is a blessing, because it really is more blessed to give than to receive, is the fact that as that the funds are getting very low at this point, but yet we still have many in our congregation that as a result of, of loss of work, uh, that can use help in that area. And we're thankful to have that opportunity uh, to, to be able to help each other. You know, the Lord teaches us as we have opportunity to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Galatians, the sixth chapter and verse 10. Next Sunday morning, there'll be a second collection taken and the second collection will be for the 1 John 3.16 ministry. So this week, as you uh, consider your finances and you consider how God has blessed you, also consider what you can do extra, above, and beyond for your brothers and sisters' sake. The simple kindness cards are really a wonderful, wonderful exercise to encourage all of us to think about our responsibility year-round, every day of the year, to do simple acts of kindness, whether it's friends or strangers. But this particular month, we like to remind us in a sense that maybe to place greater emphasis would remind us to get into a very good habit. That's what good lives are made of, is good habits. And so if you need some of those cards, they are at the Welcome Center. If you need a brochure that tells more about that, if you want to go online to www.mountjuliet.org, you can see the simple kindness icon there. You can click on that. And be sure and, and tell in an anonymous way what you've done that's good so it can inform others and encourage others about the good. And if you want some encouragement, just go and, and read those many posts that have been made. I'd like to share just a couple of the last that have been posted uh, one of our members says, I took food to a co-worker after she unexpectedly lost her husband. She was also helping one of her children pack to go to college, and it felt so good to help her during a difficult time. Another says, I paid uh, some towards someone's utility bill that was having trouble paying the bill. Then I mailed them a card with a green card of simple kindness in it. It is a blessing to do simple acts of kindness. And as we think this morning of perhaps one of the greatest acts of kindness that's ever been given, and that is given to us from our Lord, a kind or merciful act that the Lord did was not only to come and to offer us eternal salvation, but He has come to offer us help from our struggles. He's come to offer us help in the sense of recovery through Him. And, you know, we've been talking about this in an announcement form all month, and you will be hearing much more about this throughout uh, the remainder of this year. And if you have interest in knowing more about this particular program of Recovery Through Christ, you can look on the back of your Sunday bulletin, and you will see uh, much that is said about that and also information of how you can learn more about this. But this morning, 
we want to take the opportunity to study about this very important concept. Not that we're looking at any one particular aspect of the program as much as, as just backing up to think, what does it mean to have recovery through Christ? If I were to ask you, who's some of your favorite characters that you study about in the Bible? Maybe some of you would say King David or apostles like Peter and Paul. Isn't it interesting, though, that you can't name, unless you name Jesus Christ, you can't name anyone in the Scriptures that hasn't gone through some serious struggles. You see, the ones that we admire are the ones that have figured out how to go through Christ, finding their recovery with Him, and then they have something to live for. They have something to glorify God about. For example, King David. With a look, he moved into adultery and setting a man up for murder. You think about Peter, it began with three questions, and each time the answer was denial of his Lord. With Paul, even though he did it without violating his conscience, he would get up every morning with a simple goal. He wanted to persecute Christians. He wanted to end the cause of Christ before he learned that that Jesus of Nazareth was truly the Messiah. You see, you won't find anybody in the Scriptures and you won't find anybody in this auditorium that doesn't have a struggle. But what we want to find is we want to find our recovery from struggles through Christ. For example, when... We ask that question, your favorite character? I wonder if there's anybody in this audience. I'm not asking you to respond in a public way, but I'm just thinking out loud here. I wonder if there's anybody that would have said, Mary Magdalene. What a beautiful study. She ought to be one of our favorite characters. Now, before I tell you just a little bit about Mary Magdalene, I almost feel like I have to give you just a short advertisement to even boost her image because in, in our religious world, there, especially one particular denomination uh, about six, 700 years ago jumped on board with, with this idea of misrepresenting her. And since then, a lot of other denominations have jumped on board and she gets a bad rap. Uh, about some things that she's not connected with. In Luke, the seventh chapter, we have the story of the woman who was known as having a bad reputation. Most assumed she was a prostitute. And she came in to the house where Jesus was and she took her tears and her hair and she washed her feet. And many individuals then take that woman who is not named in the scriptures and there's no reason to believe that it was Mary Magdalene. They've taken that and they have attached that woman to Mary Magdalene. And so now you can go around the world and you can find homes that are to help women who have been in that type of lifestyle and they're stepping out of that lifestyle and these homes will be called Magdalene homes. Well... I'm not saying that to say, hey, Mary never had any struggles and it's wrong to pin that to her name. I'm just simply telling you that's a very, very big misuse of Scripture. But this is what's interesting. Did Mary Magdalene have trouble? Did she have struggles? Did she have pain and difficulty in her life? You better believe it. This woman of Magdalene, just like Jesus of Nazareth, Mary of Magdalene, this woman 
When we first meet her in Luke, the eighth chapter, most of our passages this morning we'll have slides for, but this particular one we don't, so you might want to turn back to that. Luke, the eighth chapter. In Luke, the eighth chapter, we have an introduction, if you will, to the passages about Mary Magdalene. I'd like for you to look in the eighth chapter in verse one. The Bible that's in your pew there, it's on page 914, 914. Look in the eighth chapter in verse one. Now it came to pass afterward that he, that's talking about Jesus, went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. Now that's a comma there, but let's pause there for just a moment before we go to the, finish this sentence in the next two verses. We have an introduction here of this story to say, here's Jesus and here's the 12 apostles and they're traveling about and what they're doing is bringing glad tidings. Now that's interesting, isn't it? What do you think the good news was? Well, immediately someone says, it'd have to be salvation. That is one of the best tidings that we would ever know. But you know, there's also a lot more about Jesus and eternal life. There's also the difference that the Lord makes in our life while we're on this earth. Friends, there is supposed to be a real and significant difference in the life of a Christian. The life that they choose to live. Do they choose to live a life that hurts themselves or blesses themselves? Do they choose to live a life that hurts other people? Or do they choose to live a life that blesses other people? There is a difference, not only in eternity, there's a difference in the way we live our our lives. And so here, the, the teaching is that there is glad tidings being brought. Notice what this glad tidings is attached to as we finish this sentence. Look at verse two. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's steward, and Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance. What do we have here? We have a list of individuals that had received glad tidings from the Lord, and a part of their glad tidings was they had been relieved of demons that had possessed their life. Now, the first century demons, we don't know exactly how they were working in Mary's life. We we could assume that it was very terrible. We could assume that if you went up and asked Mary, is your life hard? She probably would have explained a very difficult life with seven beings possessing her body. She probably might have had uh, demons like we read in other places in the New Testament that would throw her down in convulsions. Maybe she had those that would cry out and to speak things that she wouldn't even agree with, but yet it was the demon speaking. We don't know of the embarrassment. We don't know of the struggle. We don't know of the pain. But we know that she surely would have wanted them delivered, but she couldn't do it herself. And here's the beauty. She found, like the other women listed also in this passage, they found their recovery through Christ. It was the only way. We can't do it on our own, but we can find it through Christ. And notice, that recovery through Christ, what was she doing? She walked with Christ. Her life became about Christ. And she also walked with others that had been in similar shoes. Isn't that interesting? She was finding support, if you will, in this group of ladies. They had been where she had been and they had found a new life to live that was found in Christ. But also, she had given her life to the point that she was not only willing to give her life, she was willing to help support the Lord financially. I don't know if you've thought about, but Jesus and the apostles, how was it that they, as traveling missionaries, how were they to have funds to eat, places to sleep? It was people like this group of women 
that they had some kind of financial means. And they were very generous to be able to share their means to support the work of the Lord. When we think of Mary Magdalene, throughout the scriptures she's mentioned about 12 times. Oftentimes, about eight of those times, she's mentioned in a list. Five out of those eight times, she is the leading lady in the list. What do we see here? Friends, we don't just see a woman who found deliverance from demons through Jesus Christ. But when we see all of these references about Mary Magdalene, what we see is we see a woman that walked so closely with Jesus that when he left Galilee to go to Jerusalem, she was among the people that traveled with him, continually supporting his work. And whenever he was arrested and all the apostles fled, we see that she and some of the women stayed nearby. And whenever he was hanging on the cross, the scriptures tells us there was Mary Magdalene and some of the women that stayed next to the cross. And Mark even tells us that whenever he was breathing his last breath, that it was Mary Magdalene and some of the other women that were looking upon Jesus as he breathed his last. And it didn't stop there. Her loyalty to her Lord was so great that when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came to take him off of that cross to give him an honorable burial, she, as well as some of the other women, went to the tomb that, that evening and stayed until it was complete. And then on that Sunday morning, when it says that women were going back to the tomb, she is mentioned as the leading one that is going back. She wants to see and to take care of the body of her Lord in the tomb, but she finds it empty. They run back to tell others that it's found empty. And when they come back with others to see the empty tomb, all the rest of them depart. She can't depart. She stays there alone. The men and the women leave. She stays around that empty tomb in that garden, going around looking for her Lord, and she sees what she believes is a gardener, and she's asking for the body of her Lord and realizing then she is speaking to the resurrected Lord. And Mark tells us that she was the first one that Jesus chose to present himself to as the resurrected one. Isn't that amazing? Out of all the people on the earth, that he could have chosen to present himself to first as the resurrected one. He didn't go to Peter. He didn't go to Doubting Thomas. Out of all the ones, he didn't go to his beloved mother. He went to Mary Magdalene. And friends, when I study the life of Mary Magdalene, I can tell you without any hesitation, I want to be like Mary. I want to be like Mary in the sense that Whenever I have struggles in my life, I realize there is nothing I can do on my own, but that I can only find help through Christ. And that when I move my life through Christ, I realize that I always have others around me that are in similar situations and we can walk through life together, supporting the cause of Jesus Christ and living a life that says I would stay with Jesus to the very end. Friends, In that story, what we find is we find a God who cares. A God who doesn't want to leave the so-called demons in our life. And if Christ cares for individuals, keep in mind the church is to be the body of Christ. And so if we're the body of Christ, then the question comes, do we care? Do we care when others struggle? Do we want to be like the, the ladies that surround Mary Magdalene and then Mary Magdalene surrounding the ladies to say, we can be a support to each other. We can walk with Christ 
in this life together. Our life can be better together with Christ than before we met Christ. Do you believe that? Surely we do. But as we think about caring, why care? Do you realize how much pain and struggling takes place in the human race? Maybe you say right now there's not any struggles in your life. There probably have been. If there hasn't, there will be. You see, when we look around this, this room, we don't, we don't see perfect individuals because nobody's perfect and we don't live on a perfect earth. What we see is, is we see individuals that are walking through this life with their sin and their struggle and they're seeking to find forgiveness through God and live a life of atonement. They're seeking to live a life of holiness that's separated from that. But what we find out is it's not so clean cut. It's not so easy. Yes, we want to give our all to be dedicated from God, but we find that, that there's struggles. We find that there's pain. For example, 50% of individuals that visit counselors say that they have anger issue management that, problems that they can't handle on their own. There's a lot of people on this earth that have problems controlling their anger. They're not saying and doing things that they simply shouldn't do. And when I say this, you're going to think I'm making light. And I don't mind you laughing about it, but I ask you to take and think about it. You just watch people drive. It's real clear. A lot of people can't manage their anger. A lot of road rage. Even if it doesn't cause accidents. There's a lot. Why? Because people have a hard time controlling their actions when their anger is boiling. You think you can do it on your own? We don't handle sin on our own very well. We looked at the statistics. 50 to 75% of all men struggle with sexual sin. We don't do good handling that on our own. If we look back over the past 12 years, it's interesting that we can actually take some of the illegal drugs and we can see sharp decline in some of the illegal drugs. But you know what we see just the opposite? In the last 12 years we see a 400% increase in prescription drugs. It's not the ones dressed up like hippies of the 60s. They're saying peace and smoking a joint. It's your grandmothers and it's your fathers and it's your teenagers that's raiding the medicine cabinets. We've got problems and it's not because we're some special problematic group. It's because we're humans. And it's because we have struggles. But the question is this. Do we stay in those struggles? Are you ready this morning to say, I admire Mary. I want to be the type of person that I take my struggles to the Lord and I'm not going to say, that's just me. My struggle, it's just me. That's the way I am. You are not your struggle. That is not just the way you are. You can decide 
if you want to come to the one who is the great physician and he can offer the healing, he can offer the deliverance, he can help you put that sin that it just seems like it keeps reoccurring and reoccurring and you feel like you're on this roller coaster that is a cycle that at one day you say, I'm never doing that again. And then by the next afternoon, you're doing it again. And it's kind of like Romans 7 where Paul in his speaking there, he just can't figure out why the things that he wills to do and he's saying, I won't ever do those things again are the things that he finds himself practicing and doing again. What's the answer? Friends, the text. Now, now keep in mind, the answer is a lot of beautiful teachings in the scripture. And so over the next few minutes, as we spend just the last few minutes that we have on 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. I don't want you to think that I'm saying this is all the answers there are. But what I do want you to see is there's some basic principles that we can see in 1 Peter 5 that are rich. There's basic principles that, that allow us to have a release from this. But the release isn't because of us. The release is because of our Lord. There's something better that's offered. If you will, go back in your Bibles to 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. This the text that was so capably read a few minutes ago. And, and let's see a few basic principles here in these last few minutes that we have. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, we see the beginning of humility as he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. What is the very first step? In the beginning. I love that thought, in the beginning. Because you know how like when you think of a child and, and they're coloring on the coloring page and they mess it all up and, and they, that feeling of I'm turning the page and I'm starting afresh. It's a brand new page. That's what we can have this morning. In the beginning, but what starts as we turn the page to even be able to turn the page? What has to begin? Humility. Here in this passage, Peter is talking to individuals that he knows they're going to suffer a lot of heartaches and hardships because the first century church was suffering sharp persecution. And so here, the beginning of how to suffer is therefore humble yourselves. Notice that phrase, yourself. It's a command to you to say, you have to be the one to decide if you want it. Notice he doesn't say, God will make you live under his mighty hand. He doesn't. Humble yourselves. It's your choice. Do you want to get started? Do you want to do something about it? Or you can stay right where you are and sink lower and lower as long as you live. Humble yourself. And what is humble? That humility is the idea of being aware of our weakness. Humility is saying, I realize I can't do this on, the, on my own. Every time I try to be the God of my life, I make a mess of my life. I want to take the reins and I want to hand it over to God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You remember last week when we talked about the first and second greatest commandment was like a huge umbrella and you either live your life under it or you don't? This is that very same concept again. We can live our life under the mighty hand of God. We choose if we want the mighty hand that is so much stronger than us, so much more powerful than us. It's connected to so much more wisdom than we are ever connected to. We can decide if we want to live under the mighty hand of God, but it takes us making that decision. You know, sometimes we, we make light in, in, in a joking matter of, of the 12-step program where someone comes in and says, I'm David Shannon and I'm an alcoholic. 
Friends, there's nothing light about that. That's the very first step for any of us with whatever our struggle is, to be able to come and bring it and say, that's who, that is what I'm struggling with. And I don't want to struggle with it the rest of my life. I'm bringing it to the Lord. Humble yourself. Humble. Weakness. I'm not strong and almighty. He is. I don't have it all figured out. He does. I can't do it myself or I'd be doing it. He can do it. I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God. Notice under. That's submissive. He reigns. He's the Lord of our life. And we submit to Him. But now we think about point two, and that takes us to the very next verse. Notice it continuing the same sentence out of verse six. Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Second point is realize you can't handle it yourself. If you could do it, you would do it, but you can't do it. It's, it's kind of like, he says, cast your cares upon him. That word cast literally means to throw. Uh, you know, if, if maybe you, you picture yourself, it's, it's the holiday season, and you're going from the trunk of your car into the house, and, and you know how you pile a few too many presents there together, and, and you're going in with these gifts, and they start jumbling, and you realize you're, you're about to drop them, and somebody is, is coming uh, near you and, you, and you just kind of throw a few of them over to him or to her. What, what's happening here? You're saying life's spiraling out of control. I can't handle it myself. What can I do? I can cast, I can throw what? My cares, my stress, my anxiety, the issues that I've been trying to deal with that I can't deal with, the addictions, the codependency, all of these things. It can be a long list of things. I can take all of those and do what? I'll cast upon the, upon the Lord. That's not to say I will not have any responsibility in dealing with them. It is to say I can't deal with them myself. Lord, now when I cast them on you, I'll deal with them in the way you teach me to deal with them. Because when I try to juggle them, I make a mess of it. Now it's interesting the word care there. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Do you remember that parable of the four souls? And you remember there's only one soul that was a good soul, a good and honest ground, but uh, good and honest heart. But you notice just the third one was what you might say was the second best soul. Even though it wasn't good, it was the second best. And you remember that was the soul that was good enough to grow the plant really well, but it also grew the weeds around that plant. And it says that it choked out the plant. And then when the Lord was describing that parable, He says these weeds that choke out the Word of God, He says it's the cares and the riches of the world. What are those cares? Those cares are the very thing that the Lord is saying, when I invite you to become my child, I am inviting you to take those cares and throw them off on me. If you keep those cares in your life, they will choke out your relationship with God. You can't be a faithful child of God and go through life trying to juggle the cares that we were supposed to throw off on God in the very beginning. And somebody says, how can I cast all that out upon God? He can handle it. He says, cast your cares upon me. I care for you. If you're a parent, I want you to think about your child. If you don't have a child, I want you to think about your closest friend. What would you do for them? You would do things for them that you wouldn't do for other people. Why? Because you care for them. Because you love them. Now think about the Almighty God 
who, who wants to adopt us into his family. And he's saying, I will take these burdens. Cast your cares upon me. I truly do care for you. But you see, all of this, if, if it seems like, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. How hard would life be if we didn't have an enemy? It wouldn't be very hard. But the reality check is this. We do have an enemy. And that's why at this point, Peter brings that up. Look at verse 8 again. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We have this lion, and imagine right now, if you were by yourself, pinned into this auditorium, and there was a hungry lion, like in the first century, where they would throw a Christian out among a wild beast just because the crowd wanted to cheer on the wild beast and watch the Christian die. You say, well, there's no match. An individual cannot conquer a lion with no weapons or, or no defense. That's Paul's point here. That's our Peter's point. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, look, there is an enemy. He's real. Friends, when you look at your struggles and you say, I don't understand why they keep reoccurring. I'm going to handle this. Or I don't understand why I can't handle this. Pause here for just a moment. You're fighting an enemy. You're not just fighting a struggle. You're fighting an enemy that is more powerful than you. Period. There's no exception. We don't say, well, he's more powerful than you unless you've been a Christian for 15 years. There, there's no exception. There's no superhuman being that can handle Satan. The only way we handle Satan is stand under the mighty hand of God. That's it. When we stop living our life under the mighty hand of God, back in verse 6, whenever we stop living that humble life and we step out to handle it on our own again, we're defeated again. And so when we say, I'm casting my cares upon you, Lord, I'm bringing my life, my cares underneath your mighty hand. Why? Because I realize that there's an enemy out there that wants to destroy my soul. He wants to ruin my life. And so I have to be sober. Sober is clear thinking. You think that's easy? I'm just going to give you one example. King David was probably one of the wisest men to ever live. And when he looked upon Bathsheba, his mind began to work in ways that was against his own heart because the Scriptures tells us he had a heart after God's heart. His thinking wasn't so clear anymore. He committed adultery. After that, he had a man murdered. And if you can imagine this, this is the hardest of all to believe. He didn't even feel guilt. He didn't even feel remorse for what he had done. And it wasn't until one of his friends comes to him on behalf of God and tells him a story that touched his heart about a lamb being slain. And when David spoke out declaring that justice ought to be done, Nathan looks him in the eye and says, you are the man. And it's not until that moment that he begins to feel remorse for his sin. Now what's the point? The point is, it took other people getting involved in David's life before David could become sober-minded. And David was a man that had been close to God. What's the point? Friends, we need each other. We were not saved to walk this way alone. We need each other 
to think sober-mindedly. That's the beauty of what's starting this fall. The idea of saying we're going to have recovery through Christ and we're going to come together and we're going to, we're going to have a safe place that's, that's closed quarters, if you will, where we can walk together to think clearly. When he says be vigilant, it means to wake up. It's not just sin that is hurting us. But so many of our sins are rooted in apathy. How much do you really care? How much do you care when you see sin hurting someone else's life? How much do you care when you see sin hurting a brother and sister's life? How much do you care when sin is creeping its way into your life? Do you realize what Peter is doing here? It's almost like Peter has moved from, and and I was just thinking about this this week. I've never thought about it this week before. You know, it's almost like you can imagine Peter delivering this lesson. And at the first part, it's almost like it's inviting Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then he's saying, cast your cares upon him. He cares for you. And it's almost like it's a big hug. You know, come on in. Cast your cares. He cares for you. And then it's almost as if he grabs you by the shoulder and he puts you back at arm's length for a minute and he shakes you a little bit and he says, are you awake? Are you thinking clearly? Do you realize that there's an enemy that wants to take your soul? Friends, we need that. We need to be aware that there's a God we can cast it all upon, but we also need to be aware that there's an enemy that wants to destroy it all. I'm just going to mention the last two just by points and we'll extend an invitation. The next two verses show us the point that we've got to get started. We have to get real about it and we have to be willing to not just sit anymore, but to take action. When we look at verse 9, it says, resist him. Notice, we have to decide if we're going to resist that enemy. I have to take action if I want to be one with Christ. If I want to find recovery through Christ, it's got to be my initiative. Have you ever heard someone say, well, you you can't help them until they're ready to help themselves? That's exactly right. One of the hardest things for us to do is watch someone we love spiral down knowing that we cannot help them until they reach that point that says, I'll resist him. He's beat me up enough. He's beat me down enough. He's held me down enough. I and the Lord am ready to do something about it. We have to decide if we're going to resist him. And then finally this morning, I'd urge you from the last two verses of our text to recognize the fact that there is a better way to live. Can you envision it? Can you see it? Can you see that the Lord gives us a way that when we set our eyes upon Him, whenever we live our life, yes, we're going to have some suffering, but what we want is we want to move towards that ultimate perfection of when Jesus comes again. We want to have that that bar, if you will, set high. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, he sets that bar to talk about being perfect like God is perfect. And, And it's in that setting. He even talks about turning the other cheek. There's nobody here by your fleshly nature that would turn the other cheek. So if we lower the bar, we set the bar that says, well, I taught my kids, you got to defend yourself. Why don't you raise the bar and believe that you can live a better life through Christ and you can teach your kids to live a better life through Christ. But see, it's two different bars. 
Which bar are you going to set? Are you going to leave the bar that God has set, that is perfection, or are you going to set your own bar? When we set our own bar, we invite struggles into our life. We invite pain into our life. And we start being the, our own God of our own life. And instead, we strive for perfection. We establish our life with the Lord. We find the strength through Him to live that life so that ultimately we can be settled with Him. This morning, how do you describe your relationship with God? Do you see your relationship with God like Mary? He saved me. He's renewed me. And I'm staying with Him. I hope you do. But if you don't see that this morning, do you see the blessing that it can be? Friends, this isn't just an invitation to, to invite someone to do a traditional thing of, of walking down an aisle. This is about your life. This is about your soul. If you breathed your last breath right now, would you be saved? The way you live your life tomorrow, are you going to reflect God? Or are you just going to go into it back with your old self? There's something so much better. And we can't have it without Christ. If you've never been immersed into Christ, or if you have and you want to be restored back with Him, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.